Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at all forms of transport from the humble bike through to a rocket-powered spaceship. I'm David Brown. And in this program we take a look at the latest news stories with David Campbell, including car sales for August. Our resident transport planning expert Brian Smith reports on what 13 major cities around the world are doing to discourage, if not ban, cars from their city centres. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a jaunty look at some quirky news stories, including a mermaid tells a man to drive into the sea. So he says, Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. In August, Australia's motor industry posted its fourth consecutive month of record sales and its highest August performance on record. The August result of nearly 97,000 vehicles was 1.8% more than for the same month last year and continues the industry's steady year-to-date growth, with a 0.6% increase over the first eight months of 2016. Industry sales over the eight months to the end of August totaled 790,000 vehicles. Comparing the August outcome with that of the corresponding month in 2016, sales of small SUVs grew significantly by 22% and medium SUVs by 14%. Sales of 4x4 pickups rose by 23%. Every state and territory except Tasmania increased sales over August 2016. More vehicles were sold in New South Wales than any other state, but the ACT recorded the strongest growth at 9.4%. Once again, Toyota was market leader in August, followed by Mazda and Hyundai, Holden and then Ford. The German government has recently taken the advent of self-driving cars on German roads a step further by adopting an action plan to implement ethical rules for automated driving systems. Some of the key points include German traffic laws shall be aligned and updated in accordance with the technological advances of automated vehicle systems. The government shall identify and implement measures to balance data processing that is necessary for safety and fair competition. Automated and connected systems, in particular learning and self-learning systems, shall not result in the total surveillance of road users. And the systems shall meet high security standards, including the protection against manipulation. It appears that the German government is determined to pave the way for automated and connected cars in Germany, and to take a leading role in shaping the framework of the future. From 2020, all new Jaguar Land Rover vehicles will be electrified. The company made the announcement at its inaugural Tech Fest, a series of debates, panels and a public exhibition about the future of mobility. At the event, Jaguar unveiled an all-new electric automobile, inspired by its sleek E-Type from the 1960s. Once lauded as the most beautiful car in the world by Enzo Ferrari, the new E-Type Zero keeps the classic Jaguar styling while introducing an electric powertrain that produces up to 220 kilowatts of power. A lot was said about the future of diesel, but a statement from Simon Burkett, founder of Clean Air London at the Jaguar TechFest event, could be one of the most controversial ones yet. While sitting on a panel of experts at the event, he said, Diesel is the devil and it needs to be banned. The more complex questions are, which vehicles, where, when and how? 
In the US, Ford and Domino's are teaming up on a research trial that will see self-driving equipped Ford cars delivering pizza to regular customers as a way of figuring out how everyday people will react to and interact with autonomous service vehicles. Ford Fusion hybrid autonomous cars will be used in the test, outfitted with pizza containers designed to keep the pizzas warm and to unlock when a customer types in their unique delivery code. The president of Domino's USA said the company is interested to learn what people think about this type of delivery. He said, the majority of our questions are about the last 50 feet of the delivery experience. For instance, how will customers react to having to go outside to collect their pizza? New research released by Ford Australia has found that while 95% of parents feel family drives present an excellent opportunity for bonding, screen time was invading the experience. 76% of parents with children aged 3 to 16 said their child is typically on a media device or watching digital media during this time. Australian psychologist Sabina Reid believes families should try and minimise reliance on media devices. Survey findings show that time in the car can help spark kids' imaginations and get them chatting, and it doesn't take long for them to open up. Almost half, or 48%, of children will open up within the first five minutes of being in the car, while 92% will open up within half an hour. And that has been the news. I was in Melbourne the other day. At the time, it was announced as the world's most livable city. I happened to be at a conference not related to that announcement where an international speaker, Brent Todarian, who is a urban planner from uh, Canada, said that it's not the most livable city because it's still very much car dependent. He said his definition of a livable city is only one that is walkable. Well, our good friend Brian Smith has also been looking recently at a number of cities that are making some tough decisions, some hard decisions, and, well, some more purposeful decisions about what they're going to do with their cars. And Brian, who is, of course, a transport planner of note, is on the phone now. Good day, Brian. G'day, David. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, a number of cities really are starting to move and move fairly quickly in this area. You're right, David. I mean, at a time when we in Australia are having quite an embarrassing debate about uh, clean energy and the future of coal, um, some cities in Europe are, are really grabbing the reins and, and they've recognised the future is not private cars in cities. And it's a it's a geometric um, problem, David. The, there's just not enough space in our cities to allow people to drive in single occupant cars. And so uh, a lot of European cities are, are making quite strong moves to encourage pedestrian and cycling and, um, and to basically ban cars. So Oslo in Norway uh, will have a car ban by uh, 2019 in, in its city centre. It'll be a permanent ban uh, in Oslo. And then six years later, a countrywide ban will go into effect in, in the cities. And this is quite amazing. Uh, Madrid... It has plans to uh, ban cars from around 500 acres of its city centre by 2020. That's only a couple of years away. Uh, and they're in the midst of redesigning city streets to, um, to encourage walking instead of driving. So is Chengdu, China. Now, so, so anyone who, who thinks of China in their mind's eye, probably traffic and pollution, well, uh, Chengdu is designing a, a city where, where it'll be more convenient to walk than drive and you'll be able to walk anywhere 
within about 15 minutes. Um, and uh, this ought to be ready by 2020. Hamburg in Germany, same sort of deal, uh, you know, really going with connected spaces to encourage walking. And there's a range of others which we'll touch on as well. The, the thing about China, the China, Chengdu, is that they really are making a very much a total design. But your interesting point about, uh, was it Oslo in Norway, is that in many cases we are talking about extended just CBDs, whereas they're talking about it being area-wide as well. It's uh, it's something that we I guess we we we're obviously changing the culture of the way we think about cars or more particularly about getting around particularly in the intense urban areas. Well, look, Copenhagen from for many decades has had huge amounts of bicycle use, and this is a city that didn't have a history of great bicycle use until they suffered a fuel shock. Uh, where you know they, they their access to to oil was restricted, uh, and so they really did plan to have um, uh, a, a much more pedestrian and cycle friendly um, city, and and to the result that now um, you know uh, more than half of the people ride a bike to work, and this is astounding. And in Sydney, it's maybe one percent. I was in Singapore the other week, David, um, and uh, Singapore is a city that plans itself, you know, in very dramatic ways. It has the advantage that government doesn't change and, and so you, know, you don't have the situation of, of a decision made by one government being reversed by the other. But but they've moved to what they call car light and, and in a very strong way. So while I was there, they announced the that they were banning or, or, or sort of dropping a planned underground expressway around the city. And I was there working on a project that um, that is a, a north-south corridor where um, they will put some underground roads and on the surface the whole objective is to to make it all about walking cycling and public transport so it's happening in our region where we're lagging i have to say it is a case too of both push and pull isn't it there's both encouragement of walking and cycling and active transport as we describe it as well as saying well hang on you can't rely on your car anymore i guess two points are pushing it enormously of course of pollution and congestion but the other side of it is not just negating the negative things. Is that a double negative? I'm not sure. But it, but also promoting the positives. That if you start measuring things like people's health, then you can start to see very positive actions, not just from the intense cycling, but merely the joy of simply travelling in a non-motorised way. You're right, David. Absolutely. And. Um, Vukan Vucic, a sort of famous transport planning writer and, and academic, uh, made the point that if you're in, investing in um, private transport, i.e. toll roads and things like that, at the same time as you're investing in, say, public transport or, or walking and cycling, you are wasting the investment in the, the money that you're investing in walking and cycling. You have to choose. You've got to decide which way you want to go and invest in it. You can't do what we're doing at the moment in Sydney, which is doing them both you know, trying to invest in, in more roads and invest in public transport because there's a real risk that, that as you say, the push-pull, David, means that um, you basically don't get any result. You're encouraging car use at the same time as you're trying to encourage public transport use. It can't work that way. It's all to do with urban design in many ways, which goes down to some lovely details. I, I heard this research that they looked at streets that had trees in them and if you look at typically, and, and I'm not trying to be uh, racist, but white males in America, they travel on foot, A to B, straight as you can, fast as you can. 
But if you look at a, a, a range of people who aren't just caught up in money making or what have you, and you put trees on the street, people wander a bit. They stop and, and, and pause for a bit. There's shade. There's a whole range of other reasons. And so it takes it away from just a mobility to a lifestyle which invokes a much more livable environment. An experience, David. And you mentioned the uh, the pollution issue. Um, look, uh, Paris uh, banned cars um, with even-numbered number plates for one day in, from the city in 2014. So, so just pretty much 50% reduction in cars. Uh, on that day, air pollution dropped by 30%. Uh, so that the contribution of private motor vehicles to air quality problems in cities, and with you know a direct line to to um, you know, shortening people's lives basically uh, is, is clearly established, and so um, yeah, I mean the, there are real benefits in in livable livability in human experience and in human health um, by encouraging more sustainable transport modes. Berlin is building some bike superhighways. What does that mean? Well, look, yes. Um, uh, several cities have done this. London's is probably the most famous. I mean, many of the, the kind of Scandinavian countries, particularly Copenhagen, is you know, forced to build superhighways for bicycles because of the level of demand. Uh, in London, they started putting in some, some quite modest cycle paths, and then they decided to go proper. And they, they took away lanes, traffic lanes, and produced a proper solid uh, piece of cycling infrastructure, which is massively increased cycling. Um, and so cycle superhighways are really saying, well, you know, we're, we're dedicating road space to, to cyclists and protecting them from other vehicles. A key to encouraging uh, cycling is protected cycleways. And if you live in Sydney, you, you would know the, the Kent Street cycleway and, of course, the one in College Street that the, the then Minister for Roads removed. So these are these are two-way cycle roads that take out basically some car parking or dis, displace some car parking, uh, and they're they're very effective at getting people to ride bikes. It, it's a case, really, isn't it, Brian? That we're moving there. It it won't happen tomorrow, but it's not going to happen in twenty years' time either. It's going to it's going to move as this modern world does pretty quickly. It's accelerating for sure. Keep your eyes peeled. Brian Smith, thank you very much for your time. Bye, David. That's Brian Smith, who is a transport planner with Arup and is, uh, travels the world and talks about and implements more particularly or helps implement, uh, helps people implement systems that make their cities more livable. You're listening to Overdrive. And finally in the program, let's chat about the unusual. And on the line, I have Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. The first story has almost a mystical theme, perhaps magic, perhaps a little bit of the supernatural, certainly beyond the everyday aspects of life. It's not just what we see and react to, but who might be looking or more particularly what might be looking. Is it a modern technology or is it the almighty? Or Errol, do you have a story? Yes, David. And, and it's, it's also a story of karma. And that's karma with the C, C-A-R. <laughs> um, a woman in Florida who ran up the back of a van injuring the driver in the process, sped off, and she thought she got away with it. However, I, I think a higher power must have been watching because her own car called the police and put her on the phone to an officer. <laughs> so, <laughs> somewhat flabbergasted, she denied it, but the cop smelled a rat and she was soon arrested. And um, uh, not too far away in Washington County, a woman was arrested for driving drunk 
uh, but it wasn't her car that dobbed her in this time or, or a higher power. It was a smaller power, her 11-year-old son, who was so scared of mum's driving that he called the cops on her from the car. <laughs> so you should never give a mobile phone to a child. Yes. You'd think she would have told him to, uh, what are you doing? Put that down. <laughs> the thing there is that both, both aspects of spirituality, that is that there may be a higher power, in one case a technology, the other is morality. So mm. in talking morality, I guess that excludes most religions. But the point being is that there is a concept of right and wrong, even if some shrouded in their own definitions of good and evil. Yes. There are times you do want your car to be reporting things. For example, when your children are driving, you want to know if they're driving badly. Yes. And we're seeing that, that a lot of cars now, where if a child has their own key, then it automatically it automatically puts limits on the car. You can't over-rev mm. it. You can't speed. Put speed limits on the car and that kind of thing, yes. Or particularly it can report it, and Tesla's cars can do that. A mate of mine tested a bloke's Tesla came back and the bloke sat down and said, oh, I saw you drove here, here and here and you did this and so on. Mm. The other issue, though, do you want to take that further? Would you like to record your children's other activities in the car? Right. Yeah. So this is this recording the motion of the car when it's perhaps parked in a lover's lane? Yes, a location, <laughs> uh, whether the back seats are occupied but the front seats aren't. Right. But here's the issue, Errol. Who do you send the message to? Do you send it to the mother or to the father or to the, the boy's mother or the girl's father, if you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Oh, it probably depends who's going to have the um, safest reaction to the young gentleman that, that has his has the daughter. <laughs> yeah, if it's a young gentleman, the father might have a degree of pride, but the mother might be deeply concerned. If it's this young lass's, I'm being stereotypical here, the young lass's mother, she'd be furious. No, the mother might have a distant memory of uh, what might have been a pleasant experience that the father would have a shotgun. Yes, exactly. And I, and I do wonder what kind of relationship this is, uh, this is setting up. This is 11-year-old who dobbed in his mum. Hmm. Apparently, he wasn't the only one. There was a couple of other people who called in this car driving erratically but they they didn't have a, they couldn't get a plate but he did it from the car and he gave the cops all the details know, uh, signs that he was read out signs he was passing so they could narrow down where he was the sobriety test then would be are you too drunk to hear your child calling the police on their mobile phone from the back of your car yes exactly <laughs> so maybe she was deaf drunk as well as blind <laughs> And it was a Ford. It was Ford Focus. So they've got a technology um, uh, called Sync, which um, automatically calls the emergency services if uh, the vehicle's involved in an accident and the, and the airbag is deployed. And we'll probably see more of that technology rolled out. It's, it's a safety thing in case you're all, you know, unconscious at the wheel in the middle of nowhere. In this case, it's uh, got the woman in trouble for something, well, she deserved to be in trouble for, let's face it. General Motors started that with their star system, I think it was called. Yeah, I think we, we've, we've done stories on that in the past, mm. yeah. It's very reassuring. Someone has a major accident. The next thing they hear, or, or immediately after the accident, is a voice saying, are you all right? And it mm. was coming via the technology system. It was an operator in the call centre saying, mm. yeah, let's check things out to tell us what's going on. If, if you were to have 
things reported, what would you be concerned about? I mean, we talked about children on the back seat. Uh, what would happen if you could determine there was, say, a, a Catholic priest on the back seat? Do they, they immediately <laughs> fill in the form to go to another parish? I don't know. What's... <laughs> Yes, well, it depends. I mean, if you hook up, say, Tesla with, you know, Google and Facebook, th that combination would just know so much about everything that you do that I, I think you'd just never, never get away with anything if that, all, that was all hooked up to the cops. Well, th th that raises a very interesting point, Errol. The system detects that your airbags has gone off. And so you immediately get a message just saying, this is your car company. We are concerned about your health. Uh, are you all right? Yes, I am. Do, then the, the, the system would then ask the more pertinent questions. Do you want pictures to go on Facebook? Yes. <laughs> would, would you like us to take the selfie for you? <laughs> <laughs> you were screaming when it went into that. We could even put that on iTunes if yes. you would like. Well, interestingly, this, this system in the Ford directly dialed the emergency services. So there was no intermediate oh. company like, like we had with General Motors in the past. It just, oh. So basically put a cop on the line directly and he, uh, and he immediately smelled a rat because she claimed nothing happened. And of course, he has technology saying the airbags went off. Yeah, exactly. If they went off wrongly, she would still say something's gone wrong. The airbags have, in error, you would, gone off. You, you would think so. You'd think you might have noticed if an airbag went off in your face. <laughs> Unless you're so, you're so stunned that it hasn't, <laughs> hasn't kicked in yet, what happened. Or you're too drunk. Yes, or that too, yes. Well, the, the thing, though, about an airbag is it happens so quickly. Many people who've been in an accident claim their airbag just flopped out because all they remember is a, a loud noise, a bang, and then seeing this deflated airbag drooping in front of them. The yes. reality is, in the blink of an eye, it has expanded, protected you, and mm. then deflated. Mm. They, don't, they, they don't quite appreciate that their uh, neck is not broken. Yeah. Because of the airbag. <laughs> I was wondering what else, what other supernatural things could could happen and could influence you. And I, I think you've got a, a story on that regard too. Ah, yes, I could. Uh, uh, continuing this theme, that is that of the mythical creature, the mermaid, the nymph of the sea, always put, uh, portrayed as the rather beautiful young lady, half lady at the top, fish scales and things and the second half, so says he, with wonderful images like The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. And so this glorious, cute image that goes there, what could possibly go wrong? Well, I'll come back to those images, including The Little Mermaid and a little bit of a history of that. But Lim Ping Jing, I think this is a serious name, a 36-year-old uh, gentleman, crashed his car, or in fact drove it into the sea at Ocean Drive off Sentosa Cove. I think that's in Singapore. He was being chased by the authorities at the time. But uh, finally, when uh, they got him out, and they had to work a little hard to do that, they uh, loosened the seatbelt, couldn't open the door, but then went uh, a local rescue captain guy, um, David Roberts, then got a rock and broke the window. I mean, he did a huge amount. The, the, Mr. Lim then said that he did that. He drove into the ocean because a mermaid told him mm. to plunge into the sea. Clearly, yes. He has been remanded at the Institute of Mental Health. I think that's wise. Well, he should have known, Errol. He should have known. Do you know that the the 
stories of mermaids, particularly the Little Mermaid, Hans Christian Andersen, is the most dark, horrible story you could possibly imagine. I've I've heard some stuff on this. I haven't read the whole thing, but I believe the notion is she was a mermaid. She had her chance on her fifteenth birthday to go up to the, the above the waters. She gets up there, sees a handsome prince, and that he's on a boat wreck. She saves him. She wants to be a human. She's told that humans don't live as long as mermaids mermaids live 300 years but they live in eternity after so she wants to do it a witch convinces her that they'll do it by cutting out a tongue and then double crosses her and makes her uh, everywhere she walks for the rest of life having got legs feels like she's walking over broken glass it's horrible yeah that 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 sounds like a great story for kids david yeah Hans Christian um, Andersen has a lot to answer for. The much more more pleasant reference is that I think this guy had just seen the movie Splash oh, yeah. um, uh, with Tom Hanks, and uh, he drove into the ocean to live happily ever after with Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah. She's sunk without a trace, if you pardon the expression. Yes, well, well the, the, so did the movie, which is from the 80s, of course. But um, <laughs> I, I do remember as a, as a teenager um, wanting to live happily ever after in the ocean with Daryl Hannah myself. Okay, so yeah. I don't, can't blame him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a marked limitation with the mermaid, but I, I, I won't go into that. Actually, the first stories appeared in Assyria uh, where the goddess Atagatis uh, transferred herself into a mermaid out of shame for accidentally killing her human lover. Look, that look, there can be nothing good can come out of this. And if he's evoking a mermaid, he's sadly misdirected. Yes. Now we've we've talked about mystical things and uh, beliefs and passions. What would we link to America? I think Errol, you have a story. Well, David, they're certainly passionate about their junk food, mm. burgers in particular. So much so that when a new Burger King opened up in Harrison Township in Pennsylvania, it literally blocked traffic with cars queued out over the main road. Uh, Until that point, David, the 10,000 or so residents of the town only had the choice of a McDonald's or a Wendy's for their junk food. (laughs) Apparently someone, uh, Mike Stanowski, 58 of the Harrison Township, said, my wife and I have been discussing this opening for two weeks. We decided we didn't have to do grocery shopping now that Burger King is here. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, on that health you, note... You can't make, this up, can't make this stuff up, can you? <laughs> only, only in America. <laughs> Errol, it, it's been good to talk to you in the sense of covering issues that make us think about the world today, if not enjoy it. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thanks, mate. And that was Errol Smith, and we were talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.